Hey friends, well, we're back in the city under siege with Elisha, the prophet there. Um, like I said last time, I thought this was a poorly uh, broken up story with a chapter break in between. Maybe someone smarter than me figured out why this was important, but we're just actually going to have a bit of a shorter chapter finishing up this story about a famine caused in Samaria because they were being besieged by Ben-Hadad. And the king is really mad at Elisha because he thinks this has happened from the Lord. And now Elisha is going to prophesy the rescue from the famine. And we're going to see how that works. Now, we just want to explain one thing. The last video or video podcast I recorded, um, I was talking about the relaunch of Elisha's ministry with this return story about him at the Jordan. And I, I think there is something to that. Um, and what we're going to see is... I've been thinking it over, reading over the scriptures, and I am more convinced that that revisiting the Jordan signaled the second half of Elisha's ministry, which is going to focus mostly on his interaction with kings and the setting up of Hazael and the setting up of uh, Jehu. So I do think that this is a narrative technique that was used to bring some structure to the book, but now we're in the decline of Elisha's ministry, not in its effectiveness, but we're just going to see him becoming less and less of a central character, especially once Jehu comes on the scene. Jehu is going to restart the narrative being focused more on the kings of Israel and of Judah and less on the prophets Elijah and Elisha. All right, so I see that happening. And it's always good to be aware of the structure of these books. When you're reading Old Testament stories, structure is very purposeful and meaningful. They wrote their stories in a specific way that we would understand better what they're trying to say. And so I believe that we're in the second half of the story and now Elisha's reign as the prophet king or the king of the prophets is is going to start giving way to just looking at the human kings again or merely human not supernaturally blessed prophetic humans verse one but Elisha said hear the word of the Lord thus says the Lord tomorrow about this time a seah of flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria now, this prophecy contrasts to the uh, amount that they were selling a donkey's head for and uh, pigeon's dung. You remember not long ago, these, these things that are like the worst parts of animals are, were being sold for way more than a shekel. And he says, and it's kind of an economics thing, but he's saying, you know, this time tomorrow, the economy is going to, you're going to be flush with grain. So you're going to be selling things for cheap, cheap, cheap. And it does connect with that description of how bad the, the famine was in the siege. And now the word of the Lord has come, and now the question is, will people believe? Ever since Adam and Eve, the question is, when God talks, are people going to listen and respond with faith? Verse 2, Then the captain of on, whom, on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this be? But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And even as I'm reading this, there is a bit of another connection here. Do you remember not long ago, Naaman um, had a miracle, was talked into belief, got his miracle, and then said, hey, when I go to Rimmon's house, I can't remember, I think it was Rimmon, and the king is leaning on my arm, uh, have mercy on me. And so, again, the compare and contrast and the importance of faith, Naaman isn't a pagan, 
turned believer, but he's not an Israelite, but he has the same role as being the person that the king leans on his arm. And Naaman believed, but this guy doesn't believe the word of the Lord, even though he has that same role to the king. And so you get a contrast. And then that tells us, hey, don't rest on some kind of genealogy of faith. Even if you're an Israelite, if you're an unbelieving Israelite, you're actually worse than a believing Syrian. Three, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. But if we sit here, we also die. Now, So now, come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians, and if they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. So here's four men with nothing to lose. Verse 5, so they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, but when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come after us. So they fled in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank and carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. So here you have God has moved against the Syrians so much so that even lepers are now pillaging their camp. And again, as I'm reading this, I'm seeing some connections here because remember not long ago, the army of the Syrians attacked Elisha and he revealed to his servant through prayer God's chariots and God's horses surrounding them. And now you hear that God made the Syrians hear the sounds of chariots and horses, like this was his, probably his own. Maybe it's the same, you know, supernatural army was made to be heard as they rallied against the Syrians. And the Syrians were struck blind before, and now the Syrians can't see what's going on because they they heard this at twilight when it's going dark and so they can't see what's going on there's chariots surrounding them and they flee and they're overcome by um, a scenario that reminds us of what Elisha did last time so I think there is meant to be like this thematic thing going on here chariots darkness the Syrians overcome that those are the components of both of those miracles and the leopards lepers plunder them verse 9 and then they have this awesome uh, moment of conscience verse 9 and then they said to one another what we are we, we are not doing right uh, this day is a day of good news and if we are silent and wait until the morning light punishment will overtake us now therefore come let us go and tell the king's household so so very interesting that they have this moment of conscience and and put away their their moment of selfishness so they came and called and you know i wonder if this even contrasts you know not in the last chapter there's this woman remember she talked the other woman into cannibalism and eating her child so there's just like this extreme selfishness in the city and here are these lepers they have kind of a moment of delightful pillaging but then they think wait they have the fear of the lord that's what it is they're like man if we are selfish here uh, god's going to be displeased and we'll be punished they're willingness to die their humility in the face of death and just going out to the syrians is what granted them um, the pillaging but now they think like we got to do right too so they came and called the gatekeepers of the city and told them we came to the camp of the syrians and behold there was no one to be seen or heard there nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were 
Then the gatekeepers called out and was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. So maybe he's heard the story of the Trojan horse before. And he's thinking this is a Trojan horse scenario. They're going to pretend to have left. But when we come out to pillage them and see that they've gone, then they're going to attack. So he's thinking strategically, but he's forgotten the prophecy of Elijah. Verse 13, And one of his servants said, Let me let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel, who are already perished let us send and see so they took two horsemen and the king sent them after the army of the syrians saying go and see so they went after them as far as the jordan and behold it there's the jordan again and behold all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the syrians had thrown away in their haste and the messengers returned and told the king so they're waiting quite a while for this confirmation verse 16 then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of flour, fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley, which you know, is a good measure, for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. So Elisha's prophecy comes true, and it's by that time the next day. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate so that he died, as the man of God had said when the king had come down for him, down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, Two sayas of barley shall be sold for a shekel, and a sea of fine flour for a shekel, about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? So he responded with real unbelief and didn't repent of it. And he had said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So he does see it, but he doesn't eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. So... This story does elevate, again, the word of God above all things, the reward for faith and humility. Those lepers who went out in their humility, they just realized, you know, we've got nothing to lose. Let's just go out and, and humble ourselves to our attackers. They're rewarded with their lives and treasure. And uh, this person who, in great contrast to Naaman, the leper, again, there's another leper in these stories. Man, there's lots of connecting details. Naaman, the leper humbles himself and gets his miracle of healing whereas this guy who has the same job with his king does not humble himself says it's too too much for god to pull off what you've said elisha he sees and god vindicate himself but he doesn't enjoy it by losing his life to the mob so there's a short chapter that's it just 20 verses but again highlighting the same uh theme god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and we show our humility by believing God's word with faith. And God is able to do incredibly abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine. And so for us, you know, I think many of us carry around these impossible situations in our hearts, whether it's a family thing, a financial thing, a cultural thing, a church thing. Um, and I think I deserve to be challenged for my unbelief where I think something just cannot change and God cannot do it. And that sounds way too much like this guy who got trampled in the gates. And it's better to say, you know, God is able to do all things. I was prepping a message that I didn't get to do recently. Poor me, poor baby. And just in it was a reading about the angel that went and talked to Mary and told her about 
the baby Jesus was going to be conceived inside of her. And his words where he said, from now on, all nothing is impossible with God. Or maybe he says, from now on, all things are possible with God. And I just think it's such a great motto for people who believe in the miracle son Jesus, just to remember all things are possible with God and they are for you and everybody else who believes in his word. And amen.